should Christians vote for in the presidential election of 2020? Today, we'll talk with one expert who makes the Christian case for Trump. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Welcome to A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here with co-host Joseph Kerr. And as we look at what is taking place in our world, we have to admit the stakes have never been higher when it comes to the presidential election. But how should we vote as Christians? Many argue Christians or churches should not advocate for a particular person or party, but rather only policies. But in today's program, we're tackling this argument head on. We're joined today by Dr. Ralph Reed, the founder and chairman of the Faith and Freedom Coalition a pro-family public policy organization with 2.2 million members and activists. He was senior advisor to the Bush-Cheney campaigns in 2000 and 2004, and as chairman of the Georgia Republican Party, he led the GOP to its biggest victory in history. Dr. Reed is also chairman and CEO of Century Strategies, a PR firm, and is the best-selling author of eight books, including his latest title we'll talk about today, For God and Country, The Christian Case for Trump. Dr. Reed, welcome to A View from the Wall. Thanks so much, Dylan. Good to be with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us, Dr. Reed. And why don't we just dive in with the most difficult question? Why should Christians support this flawed man, Donald Trump, for another term as president of the United States? Tackle that one for us, if you would. Sure thing. Um, You know, I wrote for God and country, not so much as a defense of Donald Trump, although I do plenty of defending him and proudly so. I really wrote it as a defense of the Christian community, because Christians have been called every name in the book from hypocrites to spiritual fraud. They've been accused of selling out the gospel for 30 pieces of silver and a few items on their public policy agenda. And I just felt it was time to defend them, because what happened in 2016 is they faced a binary choice between two imperfect candidates, both with flaws, one of whom, Donald Trump, advocated things that I believe are moral goods, including the protection of innocent human life, uh, the defense of the state of Israel, renegotiating or withdrawing from the flawed and disastrous Iran nuclear deal, defending religious freedom in the First Amendment, and appointing originalists and constitutionalists to the federal courts, including the Supreme Court. Hillary Clinton was on the other side of every one of those issues and was taking positions that were the most radical that had ever been taken by a U.S. presidential candidate, including, by the way, being the first candidate of either party to call for the repeal of the Hyde Amendment and taxpayer funding of abortion, elective abortions under the Medicaid program. That has never happened in U.S. history. She wanted to make it happen. She favored late-term abortion, and she said she would only appoint pro-abortionists to the Supreme Court. So facing that moral dilemma, I think Christians not only did the right thing politically, I think they did the right thing morally. I'm not sure where we got the idea that 
we're supposed to elect somebody who is 100% biblically sound, 100% Christian. It, unless we can elect Jesus, we're not going to have that person. And I love the statement that you made regarding Ronald Reagan, that uh, Reagan used to say an 80% friend is not a 20% enemy. Explain how that idea applies to President Trump. It very much applies to Trump because there were a lot of people who made the argument in 2016, the so-called never Trumpsters, including, unfortunately, some prominent Christians who said, well, you know, he's bragged about his, you know, affairs or sexual conquests in the past, and he hasn't expressed repentance. And it was almost like they were making arguments about whether or not someone should be accepted at the communion table about whether or not you should vote for them. And the fact is that as citizens, um, we're called upon to support leaders who are uniquely qualified to lead uh, and who share our stands on the issues and on the values that mean the most to us and will lead to public policy that advances the common good. You know, this is not the first time that Christians have voted for somebody who's made mistakes in their past and supported them over somebody who was a squeaky clean Christian. I mean, remember, the so-called religious right began in 1980 when they supported Ronald Reagan, a former Hollywood actor who was the first divorced man to ever sit in the Oval Office. A man who, as governor of California, signed the most liberal abortion law in America. And they supported him over Jimmy Carter, who was a born-again Christian and taught Sunday school. Why? Because Ronald Reagan was pro-life and Jimmy Carter wasn't. And because Ronald Reagan cast the Cold War in starkly moral terms and said that he would on the Soviet Union and roll back their power, and Jimmy Carter was losing the Cold War. So that's why we did what we did in 1980, and we did the same thing with other candidates, and Trump was just a continuation of that trend. Well, that's such a good way to put it, and one thing that I'm very concerned about for those who are listening today is will the evangelical community step up and vote? We can't speak for everyone, but for you individually, if you're listening today, there is an important role you play in stepping up, voting your values in this presidential election, as well as influencing those around you in your church and community. When we come back, we'll talk more with Dr. Reed about the importance of the evangelical vote in 2020. Stay tuned here on A View From The Wall. From I Am A Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am A Watchman Minute. Do you study the Word of God? It's a discipline God appreciates and expects to see in His people. In the book of Acts, believers in the early church were commended because they studied the Scriptures daily. When you hunger for God's Word, you will find wisdom, insight, and blessing. In fact, a hunger for the Word is an evidence of true faith in Christ. The I'm a Watchman ministry exists to inspire, encourage, and equip believers. The I'm a Watchman ministry offers free resources designed to help you learn who Jesus is, what He has done, and what He is about to do. There are articles, ebooks, teaching kits, videos, and more. Don't be content with a basic knowledge of God and spiritual things. Dig deep, for that's where the treasure is. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a Watchman. 
IamAWatchman.com. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. This is Dylan Burrows along with Joseph Curran. We've been talking with Dr. Ralph Reed about the Christian case for Donald Trump as president. Yes, you heard that correctly. A lot of times people say that we shouldn't be talking about who to vote for for president or even the party, but just talking about the policies. But in this case, we're talking with Dr. Ralph Reed, who is advocating for Donald Trump as the Christian case for president this year. One thing that's important, though, as we continue our discussion, is this idea of the importance of the evangelical vote in 2020. And we ended the first segment by talking about this. Now we want to talk about why is that even a question that we should consider? And with the record of what we've seen with Donald Trump in the first years of his presidency, now going on four years, why would any Christian not support Trump? Talk a little bit about this contrast here. Well, I think it's a very stark contrast because four years ago, Christians had to really vote on faith. You know, Donald Trump uh, released a list of 21 jurists. There was a vacancy on the Supreme Court on Election Day that would decide the ideological balance of the court. And either Trump or Hillary was going to fill that vacancy. And, you know, it's easy to forget, but Donald Trump is the first major party candidate for president in American history to actually release a list and say, I will choose the replacement from this list. It'll be one of these people. It was one of the most transparent promises ever made by a presidential candidate. And he kept it when he picked Neil Gorsuch. He kept it again when he picked Brett Kavanaugh. So now, fast forward to 2020, now, and by the way, I have a 30-page appendix in the book of all the achievements and all the accomplishments by Donald Trump in just the first three years of his presidency. 30 single-spaced pages of everything that he's done to advance religious freedom, protect life, defund Planned Parenthood. Uh, appoint conservative judges, defend Israel, wipe out ISIS in the Middle East, etc. So now you've got a record of accomplishment. Uh, you don't have to vote on faith anymore. And four years ago, Donald Trump won 81% of the votes of self-identified evangelicals. That was the highest number ever recorded in modern political history. I think in 2020, I think they're going to support him in even bigger numbers. And I think they're going to turn out in the largest numbers we've ever seen in our lifetime. Regardless of Trump's personal relationship with God or lack of one, um, President Trump has vigorously defended the Christian faith. Do you see God's hand in that? And, and how do you think yeah. God, that has affected his presidency? Well, I, look, I, I think that God is sovereign in the affairs of human beings and in the affairs of nations. So, yes, I do. I see, I see God's sovereign hand in all things. You know, things that I think go well and things that I don't think go well, uh, because ultimately he's on the throne. And I think in the case of Trump, you know, I detail in the book a meeting that Donald Trump had uh, in Manhattan, in New York City, in June of 2016, with over a thousand faith leaders. These were some of the most prominent Christian leaders in the country, uh, Christian college presidents, heads of religious broadcasters. It was an historic gathering. And Trump spent hours with us. And I believe in this book, for the very first time, 
the full story of what happened in that meeting is told. And he was interviewed by Mike Huckabee. He took questions from the audience. And that's all in the book. People can read all about it. But here's the thing that I want to leave you with that he said to these faith leaders. He said, if I become president, I want to help you get your voice back. I want to see the church have influence in our society again. And he has done that. He has defended Christians, even during the coronavirus pandemic. His Department of Justice and his Attorney General, Bill Barr, have gone into federal court to defend the rights of churches to meet and worship during the pandemic. Uh, He defended the rights of the Little Sisters of the Poor, whereas Obama dragged them into federal court and tried to fine them $5 million because they didn't want to pay for abortion-inducing medication under Obamacare. Trump has kept that promise, and more than any individual issue, uh, I think what is most impressive is that for whatever reason, Donald Trump believes that the church should have a voice and should have influence in society. And I'm uh, that is a promise that he has kept 100%. Well, I like what you said there, giving evangelicals more of a seat at the table. And I don't think many people realize the impact that has had during this administration. You think of the Evangelical Council of Advisors that he's had, the meeting you referenced that you talk about in yeah. your book leading up to his presidency. These are huge differences that we did not see in the previous administration. But in our last couple of minutes in this segment, I want you to talk a little bit about the influence of fake news in the presidential campaign. A lot of times you see mainstream media talking about Russian collusion with Trump or something along those lines. But fake news is going around all sides now. Talk a little bit about the impact that it's having in the election cycle this time. Well, I think it's really just more of the same. I've got a chapter in the book on fake news and the death of journalism. And I cite polling that shows that the media is held in lower esteem today than at any point in American history. People don't believe the media. They don't trust the media. Uh, They don't respect the media. And I personally, that's not something I celebrate. I think that's a crisis for a free society and for democracy. But if you look at the fake news today, the way they attack uh, Trump's uh, response to the coronavirus pandemic, uh, the way they suggest that uh, he wasn't swift enough in responding when, in fact, on January 30th, he banned travel from China and uh, probably saved hundreds of thousands of American lives as a result. Uh, they, they suggest that he hasn't moved aggressively enough on testing. When the United States uh, right now has tested about 15 million people and has tested more people uh, than any other country on Earth and has tested more people than all the other nations on Earth combined. Uh, and then you look at the they suggest that he's moving too swiftly to reopen the country. The fact of the matter is that if we don't reopen the country, if we don't let people get back to living, working, and playing, we're going to have even greater health pathologies. We're going to have depression and suicide and economic impoverishment and increased uh, alcoholism and drug addiction. So this isn't a matter of choosing between money and health. This is choosing health. It's choosing life. We were made to work and to live, and we can do so with appropriate public health protocols. I think the president has done an outstanding first-rate job in the response to the worst public health crisis in American history. And I think to suggest otherwise is just more fake news. And it's just exactly like what we saw during impeachment, the Ukraine hoax, the Russia hoax, 
and all the other fake news that's been out there during his entire tenure as president. We've been talking with Ralph Reed, the author of the book For God and Country, The Case for Trump. Be right back with more on A View from the Wall. Stick with us. A View from the Wall comes from I Am a Watchman Ministries, established to help individuals know the love of Jesus, enter into a relationship with Jesus, live for Jesus, tell others about Jesus, and prepare for the imminent return of Jesus. We want to inspire the body to live a life of meaning and purpose. And at the coming judgment, hear the Lord say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. The wise will strive to live well so that they can finish well, The prudent will work to be aware of what God has done and what prophecy notes he will do in the days to come. In support of these goals, the I Am A Watchman ministry is happy to make available at no cost a wealth of discipleship, prophecy, and spiritual growth resources for those who desire to learn and those who are called to lead. Find out more by visiting our website, IamAWatchman.com. That's IamAWatchman.com. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. This is Dylan and Joe, and we've been talking with Dr. Ralph Reed today about his new book regarding the case for Trump as president. It's called For God and Country, The Christian Case for Trump. And if you go to ffcoalition.com, you can actually request not just a copy of it, you can get an autographed, signed copy by the author himself, Dr. Ralph Reed, so you want to check that out today. But as we conclude our radio program today in segment three, we want to talk a little bit about the election and where it stands right now. With his track record, President Trump should win re-election with an even bigger margin than he had in 2016. What is the plan of liberals and the left to keep that from happening? Well, I think uh, they've they've selected their candidate, uh, Joe Biden, who who, uh, the president calls Sleepy Joe. Uh, He's not historically been the strongest presidential candidate in history. Uh, This is the third time he's won. He'd never even won a primary before now. And even in this uh, primary contest, Bernie Sanders and others, he was outraged and outorganized. But I think in the end, people concluded uh, that uh, neither uh, Bernie nor Elizabeth Warren nor Mayor Pete could win. And so uh, Biden really won by default. I uh, He says he's going to select a woman as his running mate. I believe there's a better than even chance that it's going to be a woman of color. I think they will do that because uh, they did not have the same number or share of the vote come from African-Americans in 2016 as they had in 08 and 12 when Obama won. So they want to try and increase minority turnout. Uh, I think, uh, assuming I'm right about that, uh, they'll attempt to use that running mate to dramatically increase minority turnout in places like Milwaukee, Detroit, and Philadelphia. And I think that the map looks pretty similar to what it did in 16, with the key battleground states being Florida, North Carolina, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Uh, There'll be some others, but those will be the main ones. And I think every one of those states will come down to uh, 1% or 2% of the vote. It's going to be very hard fought, very competitive. Uh, Liberal donors will spend hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, Mike Bloomberg already spent a billion in his ill-fated Democratic presidential campaign, I think he'll spend at least another billion trying to defeat Donald Trump. And that's just one donor. There's going to be plenty of other donors 
that will probably spend at least that much. This program is a big supporter of Israel. We've had a number of guests talk about the policies in that country and the Trump's uh, changes to our national policy toward Israel. Um, So we're definitely with the president on this one. Why should Mm -hmm. it matter to Christians that this president is such an ardent supporter of Israel? Well, look, I I am a, a committed supporter of Israel and I'm a committed Christian. And my reading of the Bible tells me that God blesses those who bless Israel and God curses those who curse Israel. And I think if you look throughout history, those who have been friends, allies, and supporters of the Jewish people and of Israel have prospered, and those who did not, whether it was the former Soviet Union or Nazi Germany, uh, are no longer with us. And so I think that if you are a patriot, and if you are somebody who believed, as I do, that the Jews have been persecuted and harassed, uh, throughout their history, then I think they need a homeland. They need a place where they can be safe. If there's one thing that we learn from the Holocaust, it is that, uh, sadly, I wish it were not the case, but there is anti-Semitism. It's real, and historically, it has been used to persecute and kill Jews. So they need to have their own country. I personally believe that the land that they're on is land that God gave to the Jews, including Jerusalem, which has been the capital of Israel for 3,000 years uh, through various iterations, going back to the time of King David. And I also think beyond that moral and biblical case, I think there is a national security case for why we want to be pro-Israel. Look, the Middle East is the bloodiest and the most dangerous and the most unstable region in the world. It's where al-Qaeda came out of. It's where ISIS came out of. It's where Iran, the leading state sponsor of terrorism in the world today, is threatening its neighbors and us and Israel. And Israel is the only true stable democracy in that region. And it is the most reliable and best ally the United States has. So for all those reasons, I want a president who is a friend of Israel. And Donald Trump is the best friend Israel's ever had in the Oval Office. And I would just point out that Joe Biden was a leader in what I consider to be the most anti-Israel administration in our lifetime. Uh, The Obama-Biden administration uh, signed a deal that gave Iran the ability to obtain a nuclear weapon and then gave them $100 billion, including a billion dollars in cash. They abstained from a U.S. resolution condemning Israel in the in the closing days of the Obama administration, putting the United States on record in the world stage as trying to cut the legs out from underneath the Israeli people. And Biden was part of that administration, and we cannot let him enact those kind of policies again. Well, that's well said. And we have only a couple of minutes left. And I want our listeners to think about this number for a moment. 25 million Christians 25 million Christians who are registered to vote who won't vote in the upcoming presidential election unless we do something to change that statistic from historic trends. As we conclude this program, I'd like for you, Dr. Reed, to offer a word of challenge and encouragement to our spiritual watchmen and watchwomen. In terms of God and country, what is a word that you can leave them with today? Well, what I would say to them is, first of all, I believe we have a biblical responsibility to exercise our citizenship in a muscular and a robust way. I think if you look at the Bible throughout history, 
wherever God's people were, whatever polity, whatever nation they were a part of. Uh, they exercised their citizenship and asserted their rights. You see that in the book of Acts, uh, when there's an attempt to arrest uh, the Apostle Paul on trumped-up charges, and he not only resists that and defends his right as a Roman citizen, but he exercises what was the most precious and sacred right of a citizen of Rome, namely to appeal his case to Caesar directly. And the Bible records in the New Testament that as a result of that, there were many members of Caesar's household who came to Christ because they heard the gospel. So we're charged as Christians to be effective citizens. Secondly, I would argue in terms of policy and personnel, they need to turn out in the biggest numbers ever because we probably have more believers serving in the Trump administration right now than all the previous ones combined. And, and I know that none of us know all of their names. There are thousands of them, but just look at Mike Pence, the vice president, committed Christian at the president's right hand every day. Look at Secretary of State Pompeo, uh, a committed evangelical Christian doing a fabulous job. Uh, you look at uh, uh, Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. I could just go on and on. And, and if, if our uh, fellow believers who are listening right now uh, want to see that continue and want to see these policies continue, they have to turn out and vote. They have to get their friends registered to vote and get them turned out as well. Well, thank you, Dr. Reed. Those are some powerful words. We appreciate you joining us today on A View from the Wall. And for more of Dr. Reed's book and his work, visit ffcoalition.com. Again, that's ffcoalition.com where you can get a copy of his book and find out more about his work. And we hope you've enjoyed today's program and encourage you to join us for more at iamawatchman.com or just search I Am A Watchman on your favorite social network. We'll join you next time right here on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.